welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week, we are going to be looking at the case of ABC and Principal Reporter. The citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 26. And this Scottish case that we're going to be looking at this week deals with the sensitive issues of children's hearings and who exactly should have a say in what happens to a child. Let's start with what the law says to establish a baseline for us before we get into the dispute itself. The Children's Hearings Scotland Act 2011 allows for compulsory supervision orders, or CSOs for short, to be made in the context of children's hearings. These can make important decisions with respect to things such as where the child is going to live and with whom they will have contact. As part of the proceedings, certain people are deemed to be so-called relevant persons in relation to the child at the heart of a case, and that is the point of controversy here. A relevant person has a variety of rights and duties because of their status. They have the right to be notified of any children's hearing involving the child, access to any papers, and the ability to make submissions or review a CSO. Conversely, there is also a duty to attend said hearings, and failure to do so is a criminal offence. So how do we know if an individual is a relevant person or not? Well, Section 81.3 of that 2011 Act tells us that if a person has, or has recently had, significant involvement in the upbringing of the child, then they will be deemed a relevant person. Most often that will be someone like a parent or maybe a grandparent, but as we will see from the facts of this case, it tends not to include a sibling of the child. Actually, there are two separate cases that have arrived at the Supreme Court together. The first involves a boy referred to as ABC, who is 16 years old. His younger brother is referred to as DEF, and he is the subject of a CSO that regulates contact between the brothers. This is a lot of letters to deal with, but the salient fact is that the older brother is not deemed to be a relevant person in respect of his younger brother. ABC disagrees with that determination and argues that the legislative scheme as a whole is incompatible with his right to respect for family life under Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights. Furthermore, this would make it outside of the legislative competence of the Scottish Parliament for devolution purposes. The petition for judicial review was dismissed by the Lord Ordinary, but the reason for doing so was especially interesting, and worth digging into a little further. Section 3 of the Human Rights Act 1998 is all about interpreting the law, so far as it is possible to do so, in line with the Convention. And so the question is whether Section 81.3 of the Children's Hearing Scotland Act 2011 is naturally compatible with Article 8, or whether it has to be interpreted in a particular way in order to make it compatible. The Lord Ordinary felt that, as it stood by itself, Section 81.3 was not compatible with Article 8, but it could be made compatible if the courts used a broader interpretation and included a wider range of people who have established family life with the child in the definition of a relevant person. However, when the case was appealed to the First Division of Inner House of the Court of Session, that decision was overturned, and it was held that Section 81.3 did not have to be read in a certain way, or read down to use the legal phrase, in order for it to be compatible. 
As I said earlier, there are two cases that are part of this single appeal to the Supreme Court, and the second involves a 24-year-old referred to as XY, who has three younger sisters who are all subject to CSOs. I won't go into into as much detail on this one because it is pretty much the same thing as what was going on with the case involving ABC. At first, XY was successful in his application to be deemed a relevant person, but that was subsequently overturned. By the time that he appealed, the ABC decision had already come through the first division of the inner house of the court of session, and so the appeal was dismissed. The two cases are now joined and have made their way to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. The justices began by noting that there certainly is an interest that exists between siblings for the purposes of Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights. As such, a children's hearing must do a sufficient amount to show respect to that interest by involving siblings in the decisions that are made with respect to the child, although it is accepted that the exact degree of involvement will vary based on the nature of the pre-existing relationship between the siblings. For example, if the sibling did not have anything to do with the upbringing of the child, then it would not really be appropriate to simply grant that individual relevant person status. Nevertheless, the Article 8 interests of such a person are something that the law does take into account through things like the discretionary powers granted to reporters under Section 78 to invite other persons to a hearing, even if they haven't been deemed to be a relevant person under Section 81. Beyond that, official guidance emphasises the importance of the relationship between siblings and speaks to the importance of hearing from them as part of the overall process for obtaining a CSO. Even within the proceedings themselves, the Children's Scotland Act 1995 and associated secondary legislation ensure that representations can be made on behalf of a sibling. All of this is to say that even where a sibling is not deemed to be a relevant person, there are sufficient mechanisms in place that protect their interests under Article 8 of the ECHR. With that in mind, the appeals were dismissed. Ultimately, the status of a relevant person is all about being able to make decisions for a child that are in their best interest, and if a sibling has not been closely involved in the upbringing of a child, then it is not right that they should have that power simply by virtue of the familial relationship alone, or that they could potentially be made liable to criminal prosecutions for not attending hearings. On the other side of that same coin, there will also be circumstances where it is simply not appropriate for a sibling to have access to sensitive information about the child, or to be able to interfere in the proceedings. For the benefit of the child, the whole process should be kept as simple and streamlined as possible, and the current regime is an effective way of achieving that goal. Overall, I think that this case gets to something at the heart of children's law. What is in a child's best interest? That is the question that sits at the heart of any case in this area, and rightly so, but it is much easier to ask than it is to answer. An underlying assumption is that the child is not able to fully make their own decision about what is in their best interest, and so a court or other public body should decide objectively based on a number of factors. Aside from how objective this really is, there are also questions about the range of factors that should be taken into account. Too narrow and you end up with the court dictating a decision based on minimal information. 
too wide and you simply bring interminable family conflicts into the public arena. Clearly neither of those options are in the child's best interest, and so a balance has to be struck. The legislative scheme that we have investigated in this case does this well because it leaves a lot of flexibility to the courts and other authorities instead of prescribing one method. This allows for proceedings and decisions to vary based on each individual situation. We do also have to concede that those decisions will not always be perfect, and that is part of the trade-off. In these two cases it was a borderline decision about whether the sibling was a relevant person, and contrary to what the judge decided, there is a strong argument that they ought to have been deemed as such for the purposes of the CSO. However, that on its own is not a reason to throw out the entire legislative scheme on this subject. Ultimately, the Supreme Court was right to point out that the judicial and non-judicial mechanisms in place do serve to protect the human rights interests of not only siblings, but all parties to a case. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. If you do get a chance to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, then that is always hugely appreciated by myself. We're actually coming up to 200 reviews on iTunes at the moment, so any little helps. And if you do leave a very positive review, then I will be sure to read this out on the podcast. Thanks as ever for listening. I'll be back with another case next week. But for now, bye.